You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls of all ages. I am Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. We're going to start today by talking about something that everybody who's into guns knows about, the ammunition shortage. Apparently, prices have skyrocketed. You've seen that. A box of ammo that was 8 to 10 bucks a year ago is now going for 35 to $50. And it's just, it's crazy because a lot of guys are looking at this going, you know what? I'm not going to pay a dollar a round for pistol ammo when I was paying 18 cents a round a, <laughs> a few months ago. But other people are coming in, the new people coming in don't know this used to be a cheaper commodity, or they hear stories, but they've never experienced ammo at $10 a box. It's always been 30 to $40 a box, $50 a box, and they just assume that's what it is. So here's one thing. I, had, I got the story about a guy who works at a gun store behind the ammo counter, and he's going to tell us how some of this stuff works why it's the prices are so high well for one reason there is a shortage they're 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 producing as fast as they can but people are buying and stockpiling and overbuying and we had over 8.4 million brand new gun owners last year and from what i understand there's almost 2 million new gun owners this year already even though it's only march so with 10 million new people buying guns, needing ammunition, it just pushes, you know, there's almost what, 1.6 or 7 billion rounds of ammo if they each just buy four boxes. But of course, all their gun friends are telling, oh, you need to buy at least a case or two of, for each caliber that you've got, just in case. Which, with the way things are going now, it might be a good idea, despite the price. Well, I've seen plenty of ammo available. The prices are still maintaining high because the guy at the gun store has got to go, okay, if I sell my boxes for a regular price or a standard markup, I'll be out in three days and I won't have any ammo for the next, you know, six to eight weeks because it's going to be hard to replace it. So he's got to make his price high enough to discourage the guy who's going to try and buy up everything at a good price just so he can keep something on the shelves. Now... A little bit, you know, a little bit of stuff here. If somebody comes in and buys a new gun, they're not going to want to buy a new gun from a place that can't sell them some ammo with it. You know, they're going to want to have some ammo with it. So this guy's got to either reserve stuff for gun sales or price it high enough to where they can, you know, keep a little bit in stock and they they can make extra money. Because when the prices fall back down, they may be stuck with inventory at a higher price that they're going to have to sacrifice in order to be competitive in the market. So it's it's you know it's kind of it's supply and demand. It's like gas prices. When they go up really fast, they mark the prices up even on the old stock of fuel because they have to make the money to buy the new load of fuel that's going to come in. And when the prices drop, they have to drop their prices and they lose money on more expensive fuel they bought. Same thing with the ammunition. And for those of you whining, complaining, saying price gouging, well, you know what? This is how supply and demand works. When it works with you, you love it. When it works against you, you don't you don't like it so much. But that's what these gun shops are having to do, especially the small ones. Because they, in order to keep inventory in stock, they have to have prices high enough to discourage mass buying. Or put a limit on the number of boxes you're allowed to buy. So it's you know it's it's just one thing that's it's driving the prices some is that the demand is staying really high now if demand were to drop a little bit if people were to settle down say I have enough for now I don't have to buy anymore 
some people run to the Academy Sports or any big box store that sells Alma Cabela's and Bass Pro, and they buy up whatever they can find whenever they get inventory in, whether they need it or not. Of course, who's to say how much ammo is enough? I wouldn't be willing to put a number on that. But if they're not one of these big box stores, they have to keep enough ammo in stock to supply their regular customers and their new customers. So they can't sell it at a super cheap price unless they put limits. And even then, someone will, there are guys who will come in every single day or send their wife or sons or daughters in to buy three boxes of ammo at a time at a good price, and, and they'll end up getting it all. So he has to raise the prices to discourage the people from just cleaning out his supply. That's kind of where they're at. In order to keep something on the shelf, he has to be he has to be what some people would call a price gouger, but he's just providing a product in a high-demand market, which is exactly how that works. So don't get mad at the guy at the gun store because he's just trying to keep his business open because if he sells everything out in three weeks, what's he going to do for the next you know three months until he gets inventory back in? He can't stay closed. He's got to be able to make some extra money because he doesn't know where the next load of guns or ammunition is coming in, when it's going to be there, how much it's going to be. So he's got to cautiously raise his prices in order to possibly cover increases in the future. So, you know, that's how that's going to work. And it's going to stay this way for a while until the demand drops off. So if you don't need ammo, don't buy it. If you do need it, shop around a little bit. You may find some better prices here and there. Buy what you need. Or as much as, you know, whatever they'll sell you at a reasonable price and wait because I think you'll get better prices if everybody waits just a little bit longer. I think things will start to fill in the pipeline. Of course, with our uh, stumbling, bumbling uh, commander-in-chief up in the White House talking about taxes on ammunition and gun bans, that's driving demand beyond ridiculous. Because some of the things he's talking about are so unconstitutional it's not even funny, but... Apparently, the Constitution doesn't matter anymore. But how about some good news? It turns out that there's a company that's importing a huge trove of M1 carbines from Ethiopia that they're going to be able to sell in the U.S. Now, these were weapons that were uh, they were developed by Winchester because the troops needed something more powerful than a pistol but easier to handle than a rifle. Because at this time, at the time the M1 carbines were out, the M1 Grand and M1A were the rifle of choice, both in a .30-06 and .308 caliber. These were big, heavy, long guns. The M1 carbine was a lot lighter, smaller, handled a smaller cartridge, had a high capacity of up to 30 rounds. So this was a great weapon if you had to carry something in the jungle or had to go for long periods of time and didn't want to hump around a 9- or 10-pound gun with you. But they started delivering them in 1942, so they were they were serving in World War II, and they be, and they were popular through the Vietnam era. And it's funny because the Viet Cong had obtained M1 carbines from some of the countries that the U.S. had sold their surplus to, so they ended up so our soldiers in Vietnam ended up facing our own M1 carbines in some of these battles in in Vietnam. And in the into the 60s, the government would sometimes release a quantity of stockpiled M1 carbines for purchase by the American by the, by the American public. At that point, the stockpiles located around the world and were liquidated to the public. But lately, collectors and enthusiasts have a harder time tracking down authentic World War II M1 carbines. But now there's a company, Royal Tiger Imports, has announced they have located a huge trove of them in Ethiopia, and they're going to be bringing them in. The models vary from all kinds of, you know, hardware manufacturing companies and other companies that, that 
during war times, a lot of companies manufactured guns instead of what they normally did. In fact, some of the most desirable ones are ones manufactured by names you know to be popular for other products, such as International Harvester, IBM, all manufactured guns at some point during World War II. Getting an IBM-marked M1 Garand is, or M1A, whichever one it is, I think it's the M1 Garand and the M1 Carbines, some of them were IBM-marked, which is kind of neat because you wouldn't think of them as manufacturing guns in any sense of the word. But during the war, they did. Now, they were able to purchase a number of these weapons and port them into the U.S. They're listing the weapons on their website, royaltigerimports.com, starting at $1,000 for the standard one and $1,700 for excellent to unused condition. They also have British Lee Enfield 303s, some pre-World War I rifles, German 98Ks, some Italian rifles made in the 1800s. And most of these are in great shape due to the very dry climate. There was no moisture to damage the wood or metal components. Now, drying out the wood can be harmful, but usually that can be fixed with good furniture polish or some oil. So these are available. Now, to me, I don't know. They, if they're authentic World War II guns for 1000 to $1,700, I guess that's not too terrible. Considering they used to be a few hundred bucks each, now they're going for over over a grand apiece. But they will be available. So if you're interested, you can go to the Tiger Import site, see what they got. They do a lot of importing of surplus arms. So that's something to consider. That's some good news. Now we have to get into some bad news. That's right. The Canadians are in trouble, apparently. They're realizing that their assault rifle band, that there was his name, Justin Trudeau, was anxious to get into, into play is violating all kinds of rules that they thought they wouldn't have to live by. Now, they don't have a Second Amendment in Canada. They don't have protection of their Second Amendment rights. They don't have second. They don't have a Second Amendment, probably, or they may have one in their Constitution, but it has nothing to do with guns. They have no gun ownership protection in Canada beyond what the laws will allow, and as it changes, they have nothing to stop it from changing. They don't have a shall-not-be-infringed clause in their Constitution. So um, the Canadians are, are getting they're getting upset because and now it's odd to think of Canadians getting upset because they're they're generally so uh, pleasant. But these people are realizing I've been a legal responsible gun owner since my earliest days, not a criminal, not certainly not the cause of any gun crime, and they're being made the patsy for his liberal government projects. And they're realizing that you know you look at like a Mossberg a seven fifteen, which is a AR-15 looking rifle, but it fires a 22 caliber bullet. It's a 22 long rifle, and they're saying, "Oh, just because it has a high capacity, they're trying to make it illegal." And they they took a list of 1,500 guns that look like look like quote unquote assault rifles, which is just ridiculous. Because most of you guys know, you know, you put a stock on on a 10-22, and it can look like an assault rifle, even though the same weapon with a wooden stock fires the exact same way, is just as dangerous or fun to shoot, whichever way you want to put it. And the fact that it looks a certain way, people get they get antsy if they don't know. They're ignorant. They're completely ignorant of how guns work. So they have a list of, it's always 1,500 guns. Now they said the list has grown to up to 2,000 guns as they pick more and more and put them on the list. Now, it, it's funny because the Canadians, they're, they're upset, but I don't know if they're really going to do anything about this. In the U.S., you know, we had our assault weapons ban or 
military-styled weapons ban from 1994 to 2004. And in 2004, Bush decided, you know what, I'm not going to re-sign that. There's no need for it anymore. Crime has been dropping. And actually, crime was dropping prior to the 1994 assault weapons ban. It was dropping and dropping and dropping every year, and it just continued dropping. So, of course, the left is going to sit there and yell, oh, look, they see the crime dropped during from 1994 to 2004. Well, you know what? It dropped from 1984 to 1994 also. But you don't want to talk about that because that wouldn't go with your agenda. But now the Canadians are, are rethinking... You know, how much, how much of their freedom they have given up by letting the Canadian government take their guns away. And they're beginning to see the ridiculousness of this, uh, prime minister they have up there. Now this prime minister is the one who went blackface to parties for Halloween or in college or something like that, and he thought it was really funny at the time. And at the time, it probably was, because not everybody was offended by every little thing. But now, of course, you bring something like that up or somebody was to do that, it would be ho- a horrific violation of somebody's somebody's rights and people would be horribly offended to the point of being physically ill I'm sure. The fact that somebody painted blackface or whiteface or whatever you know, an actor that portrays another race. Oh my god, how awful, that's terrible, we can't do that. But apparently, Justin Trudeau did it and he's just going to kind of let it fizzle away, trying to explain it away by saying, oh, at the time it was not a big deal, or just kind of ignore it, who knows. Now, there's another thing that happened. Last year, they had record gun sales. And this year, we're on track to break that record again. But here's the thing. the A lot of the arms that come into the U.S. are imported. The U.S. imported 6.4 million handguns and long guns in 2020 compared to 4 million in 2019. So it was up over 50%. And they came from Turkey, Austria, Brazil, Czechoslovakia, Croatia, Italy, Germany, and China. And uh, now this doesn't include military weapons or muzzle loaders. Now munitions were coming in just in crazy numbers because, you know, um, what, 765 million units. Mexico, Italy, Czech Republic, and Russia for a while. They were bringing lots of them until they decided that Russian, that we weren't going to import any more Russian ammo or Russian guns. So it's, it seems like a quarter of the guns that we imported last year came from overseas, or were sold last year, came from overseas. All right, we're going to have to come back and finish this in a little while. I have to take a quick break. I am Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Roger B., and you're listening to Locked and Loaded. 
Okay, right before we left for the break, we were talking about imported weapons and munitions and how millions of guns were coming into the country. But now this has always been an issue for politicians. They find it easy to ban imports of weapons because they can either label the country as a bad country to do business with, as they did with Russia, which was, I think, under Trump. He banned Russian imports of weapons and ammunition. Now, so far, he hasn't done anything to say he was going to, but you got to look back. In 1989, Bush banned all what he called assault weapons from outside the U.S., and this was a Republican ban that went in place in 1989 after a shooting in Stockton, California. And it's crazy because after these shootings, these people automatically assume the guns are to blame. Unless, of course, a, cop, a policeman shoots somebody. Then, of course, all policemen are bad and the gun has nothing to do with it. It's like our shooting we had back in uh, Boulder, Colorado a week or so ago. It's funny. When they thought this was a white guy, a KKK guy, a Trump supporter, they were all over this. The story couldn't, you couldn't flip on any news outlet without seeing it. Then as soon as they found out he was a Syrian born Muslim, the story went away like dust. It just poof, vanished into thin air. All of a sudden it was not a problem. But what they didn't tell you is all of a sudden there's a racial issue here. A Syrian born Muslim kills 10 white people in a supermarket in Boulder, Colorado, and the story's gone. Had it been a white guy killing 10 black people or 10 Muslim people, the story would be out there for weeks saying how we need to do something because the white guys are bad. It's so crazy that here was a hate crime. Somebody killed all one race of people, 10 of them, and yet there's no there's no news story anymore. It just fizzled out. It went away because it didn't meet their agenda. It didn't meet their propaganda statistics they wanted to push. And it's funny, this happened after Biden had gone and bombed Syria. Then, of course, you know, a month later, some Syrian guy shoots up a grocery store and kills 10 people after Biden goes and drops bombs on part of Syria. And yet no one seems to be talking about that possibility. You know, is there a link there? Is there any relation? Has this guy worked for the government before? Is he in touch with anybody from the from from Syria? Does he still have family there that he keeps in touch with? Do they encourage him to do things like this? I don't know. But it's an interesting question to pose. And it's funny how the media just drops it. As soon as they find out he was not a plain old white guy, then boom, they don't want to hear about it anymore. It doesn't make any sense to them to push the idea that a Syrian-born Muslim killed 10 white people. That that's not, that's not a hate crime. Even though every person he killed was of one particular race, that doesn't matter. The media is so crooked, they lie so much, they push propaganda on all their agenda so often that people can't even tell the difference between real news and propaganda. They're being lied to constantly, and they can't. a lot of people cannot tell the difference. Get out there, folks. If you're listening to one news source, you're being blinded. You're going through life with blinders on. You're not seeing all sides of the story. Get out there and look at other sources, especially alternative sources. A lot of times they go places where the mainstream media won't go. The mainstream media will only push whatever stories the administration currently in charge will allow them to push. It's funny how Joe Biden has stumbled and bumbled his way through everything for the last 50 days, and there's hardly a single negative story about him out there. His border crisis is going crazy. He wants to shut down America again, impose mask mandates, have vaccine cards to identify people who are allowed to travel, but yet he's going to open the border up and let millions of people in with no vaccinations, no vetting whatsoever, no background checks, 
And that's okay because they're immigrants. So that's all right. You know, we're going to let these illegals in with no problem. But American people are going to have to suffer all the consequences. They're going to have to pay the extra taxes to help support these people. You know, if you don't need an uh, ID to get into the country, then, then why do you need, you know, then I guess you don't need, they say you don't need ID to vote either. But yet they want Americans to carry ID. They want Americans to carry vaccination cards. They want Americans to wear masks. But they don't want any of the people coming into the country illegal to have to abide by those same standards. It is just, it's ridiculous. You know, if you don't need ID to vote and you can trust somebody to send in their ballot and trust that they're the right person, then you know what? I should be able to order a gun through the mail and have it shipped to me. That shouldn't be a problem. They could trust me. I'm a citizen. I've never, you know, I've not been committed. I've not committed any crimes. Okay, well, I was caught speeding once, but other than that, you know, all misdemeanor stuff. But still, it's just amazing how they trust people to cast a ballot in a, in a national election, and they don't think that is more important than gun owning, which is a right specifically spelled out in the Constitution. Go to the Constitution, read it. You do not have the right to vote. And I don't care. You can you can say you do, but you do not. You can't show me a clause in the Constitution where you have the right to vote. Now, you do have the right not to be discriminated against in an election <clears throat> based on on gender, ethnicity, religious beliefs, whatever, political beliefs. You cannot be discriminated against in an election, but there's nothing in the Constitution that says you have a right to vote in national elections at all, or state elections for that matter. That's given to you by your state. So people are fighting for this right to vote, which does not exist. There is no right to vote. Our country gives us the opportunity to vote, the privilege to vote, and they do it without, within some states, with no identification, with no identifying marks. So somebody can go and vote 10 different times. It's completely ridiculous. Okay, but I've rambled on long enough about that. It's not a gun issue, but we're going to get to gun issues now. There's a guy in West Virginia who was arrested for selling, um, well, he listed them as portable wall hangers. These were uh, 3D printed plastic pieces that you could supposedly put on a wall and hang stuff on them. They were like little flip down hooks. Now, if you, if you know anything about it, if you've ever seen one, an AR-15 auto sear looks just like these wall-hanging hooks he was selling. So basically, he was 3D printing AR full-auto AR-15 sears and selling them as wall hangers. And uh, he had his portablewallhanger.com site, and uh, apparently it was up as of last November, but I'm sure it's down now. They've probably taken that down because I think he's in jail. Now, he said the product is designed to hang keys, lanyards, other small objects in place where they can be easily accessed because according to the site, searching for your keys really sucks. And there's even a helpful assembly video that shows you how to put these things together and use them as wall hangers. <laughs> And, you know, I guess if you're not using it for anything other than a wall hanger, it should be perfectly legal. But it just happens to be the exact same shape, size, and fitment of an AR-15 auto sear. And it's funny because I think they're going to try and, you know, a lot of this stuff, a lot of these people who order this stuff, and I, I figured if you ordered them online, you probably got kept on a list unless he destroyed his contacts as soon as he got them, which I would hope someone selling that type of product would do. And he, this guy who got arrested does not have a, a license to manufacture or sell 
any type of machine gun parts or auto sears or anything like this. He had sold about 600 of his products between January and October of last year. Yeah, this story is from last year, from 2020. But uh, so 600 people, or you know, some people bought more than one. I'm sure, because you know, when you want to have a uh, hooks, you want to get several hooks together to hang all kinds of keys and stuff up with. But apparently, it came to the attention of an FBI agent after one of his one of his customers was accused of shooting a security officer in the federal building in Oakland in May. Now. He did not use, he had installed one of Watson's auto sears in the Air 15 he used in two shootings. So here, this is what happened. Somebody ended up using one of these things as an auto sear, and that drew the attention of the FBI, and they wanted to find out where this thing came from, and they did. They tracked it down. And so this is, and I think this is going to become a huge problem in the future, because with 3D printers and information out there, anybody with who can play a video game can make parts for your guns, 3D parts for all kinds of stuff. You can make magazines, frames, full auto, sears. All that stuff is easy to make. But you know what? Most people who are law-abiding citizens are not going to take advantage of that because they are law-abiding citizens. They're not going to go out there and try and circumvent the law by using a wall hanger as an auto sear. And it's kind of funny because, I mean, this guy, he didn't sell them as auto sears. They were just sold as wall hangers. And it's funny because one Instagram user commented, only works in Armalite walls. Mm-hmm. Meaning AR stands for Armalite rifles, in case you didn't know. It doesn't stand for assault rifle. It's Armalite rifle. That's the original designer. Um, Eugene Stoner designed the Armalite rifle. And that is where the AR-15, the modern AR-15 came from. So, and it's funny because I'm curious to see how this court case goes. I mean, he obviously knew what he was doing. He sold, you know, even if he had sold it to where you had to remove parts to make it functional, it may have been considered safer. But it was just kind of funny because the page he had was very thinly veiled as to what these pieces were and what they were could be used for. But, you know, with 3D printers, once the information is out on the net, you're not going to stop it. You can't stop a file from getting from one end of the world to the other at the speed of light. It's just going to happen. There's no way to stop it. And with 3D printers getting easier and easier to use and more and more common, easier and easier to access, is the government going to stop the use of 3D printers? If they ban magazines, are they going to stop people from printing 3D standard capacity mags in 20, 30, 50 rounds? You know, it's just, it's, this is going to become a problem for criminal elements. Now, granted, most law-abiding citizens will not take advantage of this because they don't want to break the law. They are law-abiding citizens, thus the term, law-abiding citizen. So we'll have to see where this goes, but I have a feeling this is just the tip of the iceberg with this 3D printing stuff. Because I've been someplace and watched a guy print a 3D Glock frame. In about, you know, probably 45 minutes, he printed one up at a gun show, and he was just showing it how it worked. He sold the machine and the programming for 400 bucks. Now, there's nothing wrong with producing a Glock frame. That is perfectly legal to manufacture your own handgun or your own rifle, whatever you want. That is perfectly legal. There's no law against that, as long as you do not sell it or use it in a crime. You know, you use any weapon in the commission of a crime, and you're guilty of the crime. But owning a homemade weapon is not a crime as of now. So you can manufacture all the Glocks and all the AR-15s and all the G3s or SIG 
SIG 320s, whatever you want to manufacture, you can do it on your own, and that's not illegal. If you sell it, though, you must register it, put a serial number on it before you sell it. You're not allowed to sell a weapon that you manufactured unless you get a license to be a manufacturer. So just keep that in mind if you're going to manufacture one out of an 80% lower, which is generally the easiest way to do it. 80% lowers are 80% finished, and you do the last 20% of the finishing yourself. Most commonly available in Glock frames and AR-15s. Why, why, why do I smell Al Capone here? Al Capone? Oh, oh, oh because uh, <laughs> there's illegal machine guns? I don't know. He had he had legal machine guns. Yeah, sure. They were legal back then. They're, they were stolen, but other than that, they were legal. Yeah, they were legal to own at the time. Yeah. I mean, at the time, a Thompson machine gun was about 200 bucks. But, you know, you think a criminal element seems to be able to figure out any way they think they can make a buck doing something. So you don't think these won't be made in people's basements and sold? Oh, yeah. On the street like crazy? Oh, they'll they'll be readily available. It'd be so easy because if you've ever seen an AR-15 Odyssey, it's about an inch and a half by an inch by half an inch wide. That's all it is, and it's got a little pivot on it. It's extremely easy to manufacture. And even so, you could pull a spring out of an AR-15 and use a zip tie and make it full auto. It doesn't take much. But like I said, law-abiding citizens are not going to go out of their way to break the law. Unless they feel like the government is breaking the law and they have to put them back in place. That's where tyranny comes in. If you have to fight tyranny, then some of the laws go out the window. Yeah. (laughs) And uh, it better be a big one, though. Yeah, let's hope it doesn't come to that. Let's hope we don't end up having to fight tyranny in our own country other than showing up at the polls and voting. Let's hope that's the, the way we can fight tyranny from here on out. I hope it doesn't come to anything beyond that. Certainly don't want violence. We're going to have to take a break here, uh, mm-hmm. Mr. B. All right. So we'll be back right after a few words from somebody. This is David Donaldson with the Atlanta Healing Center, conveniently located in Lawrenceville, Georgia. At AHC, your success is our goal. Addiction recovery is about more than just not using. It's about becoming a whole person and addressing all aspects of your physical, psychological, and social needs. Please call us at 770-696-9862, or you can reach us on the web at www.AtlantaHealingCenter.com. If you live to serve and want to make an even bigger difference, consider joining the U.S. Army. With training in fields like medical care, linguistics, and engineering, an Army career can amplify your efforts with humanitarian opportunities all over the world. Plus, you'll receive competitive pay and incredible benefits, so you'll be taken care of, too. Learn more at GoArmy.com. Hello, my name is Rick White, and I'm the director of the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. I want to encourage all Georgia veterans to consider being nominated to the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. And if you are a Georgia veteran, and the definition of a Georgia veteran is either you were born in the state of Georgia, or you've lived here 10 years, or you were raised your right hand and joined the military in this state, you are considered a Georgia veteran. For further information, go to www.gmbhof.org, or you can contact me at 678-427-0915. We'd love to have your nomination for the Georgia Military Veterans Hall of Fame. Thank you so much. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Roger B. You're listening to Locked and Loaded on America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about a West Virginia guy who was arrested for selling full-auto AR-15 Sears um, designed as what he called wall hangers. It was like a hook you could hang stuff on that you could mount on the wall. 
Okay, and they apparently determined that uh, this was not cool and they didn't want this guy making these. Now, in another story, this is from March 17th, this is from this year, the ATF arrests a Florida man for selling metal drawings of a full-auto lightning link, is what he called it. This was, um, they were trying to crack down 80% receivers and the ongoing debate on the legality of 3D printed guns and whatnot, which, like I say, as of now, they're legal. Assuming you're allowed to own a gun in the state you live in. If you are not allowed to own a gun, you cannot manufacture one. Well, you can, but you should not. But if you're a criminal, you're not going to pay attention to the laws. Now, this was, he made a little, he called an auto key card. And, um, it was a metal credit card that had been laser engraved with the outline of what he called a lightning link. And according to the page, it was a three-in-one bottle opener that sold for $109. And the product description clearly says, Do not cut or alter the artwork in any way. Describe the item as a business logo card. Great conversation piece, artwork, and novelty. You may not use our products for any illegal or unauthorized purpose, nor may you use them in the service violate to violate any laws in your jurisdiction. But this was not enough to protect the guy from getting arrested because it's a violation. And he didn't actually manufacture them. He just printed the outline on a metal card. He basically drew a picture on it and showed somebody what they could cut out in order to make it make something you could cut this thing along these lines and make it into a device to convert it to an an AR15 to a fully automatic machine gun which is illegal in this country for anything manufactured after 1986 due to the Hughes Act which probably should never have been passed but anyway this guy was it was a little metal card if you go look at this thing if you find the story on this it was interesting because he just laser etched it and you would have to grind it out of the metal card he sold and this was a thin metal card that would fit in your wallet because it was also a bottle opener but they said because the users could cut the metal out along the engraved lines and then use the device to convert it anybody in possession of one of his products is in violation of federal law now even if they hadn't cut it out even if they were just had a card in their wallet they could still be prosecuted for having machine gun parts even though it's not a machine gun part, it's just a piece of metal with a drawing on it. So they're, I think they're really stretching this one. I mean, granted, he know he knew what he was doing apparently when he put them out there because no one would pay $110, $109 for a card that has an etching on it, for a steel, even a stainless steel card that has an etching on it. It's just, it was very expensive. But people who knew what it was thought, oh, this is a cheap way to get one of these. But again, you're ordering stuff online. They're going to come come get you and ask you for it back. Hopefully, you haven't cut it out and made it into a full auto sear. Otherwise, that's a $250,000, up to $250,000 fine and up to 10 years in prison. This is, like I say, this is the same one, who, who, same idea as the guy who was selling wall hangers, although the wall hangers were already completely manufactured. All they had to do is drop in. There was nothing to this. Here, you actually have to do some work yourself. You have to cut this thing along the lines that were etched into the metal. Which eh, might seem like a bit of a stretch. I mean, anybody can look it up and see what it looks like. Like I say, it doesn't take much to do it, but most law-abiding citizens will not. And it, it's funny because now they're going to say, has any, if you draw a picture on a piece of metal, is that a violation of ATF law? 
if you show somebody here, if you cut it along these lines and draw with your magic marker on a piece of stainless steel, are you making a machine gun? Is that all it's going to take? It just seems like they're really stretching with this one. The wall hanger thing I can understand because they were functional right out of the box. This you actually have to violate his company policy and violate the law and manufacture a part yourself that you're not supposed to have. So I'm curious to see where this case goes, if I ever find any more story on this. But it'd be so easy to just say, oh, well, that's a piece of metal. You could turn that into an AR-15. Oh, but it's just a, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a sharpened credit card. It's just a knife. Oh, but you could turn it into an AR-15 here. And then they draw draw it with a magic marker on there and go, see, all you have to do is cut it along here, and then it's an auto sear. Well, who knows? Like I say, it's going to get easier and easier. The technology is catching up so fast with what we can accomplish by running either, you know, metal machine shops or 3D printing is one of the most amazing things to me. You see guys makes all kind of very intricate pieces and parts with 3D machines. And it's so simple, and it's so inexpensive, and so easy to do. I bought a um, a loader for my uh, little Ruger pistol that just pulls the magazine buttons down without using your thumbs. And it was a he sold them for a dollar a piece, and he was three D printing them. And it was great because it was a perfect you know it, it didn't violate any rules or laws. Of course, it was just an assist mechanism to pull the magazine spring down on a Ruger. Uh, 22 pistol, the Mark 1 through 4s with the little buttons. If you have one, you know what I mean. It can be hard on the thumbs if you're loading more than a couple of those. But now, what about other lawbreakers? Do you think the police or the ATF or the FBI would be as interested in catching them as they would these guys who are manufacturing parts or uh, outlines of parts on pieces of metal? That's the crazy thing to me. It didn't even make a part. He just drew an outline of it on a piece of metal, and they're saying he was making machine gun parts. When it would actually require the customer to cut it along those lines precisely to make it function. Roger, you've brought up an interesting point here in that, uh, you know, they're trying to, (laughs) the idiots in Washington are trying to hold manufacturers responsible for... Uh, a shooting or whatever. Right, right. I mean, it's as crazy as it can get. But my question is, who are they going to hold responsible for the one that you make on your 3D printer? Well, that's funny you should ask because they went after some customers who had purchased. There's a company called Polymer 80, and they sell 80% finished Glock frames. But they sold them with a kit that you could basically complete the whole gun uh, once you got... (coughs) Excuse me. Once you got your uh, your milling done on the plastic frame, they sold a kit where every other part was included with it. But you had to do the manufacturing, which was not illegal to sell the unfinished frame. But when you sold it with all the other parts, they were saying that was too close to being a gun. So you had to buy your parts from different sources. I mean, it it either wasn't 80% frame or it wasn't, but they said when it came with all the extra parts, they were calling that an illegal gun because it was too easy. It's like, well, there's nothing said it has to be difficult to do it. It just can't be more than 80% finished. Okay, so I get an 80% finished frame. Right. And can, through the 3D printer, can you print the rest of the parts? No, no, you don't have to even print it. Well, okay. Doesn't even use it. You just ground off a few pieces here and there, install the parts that come with it, and boom, you have a frame. You don't have to 
3D print anything. Oh, okay. Yeah, you can manufacture this just with a, you know, a Dremel tool. It's funny because they put extra plastic in to fill in spots, and you have to just drill that extra plastic out, drill the holes in it. But it comes with a jig, so you put it in this jig. It shows you where to drill the holes, shows you what to take out of it. All the instructions are included, and you can do it with a Dremel tool and a drill. That's all it takes. It, it's not very difficult to do. It's just, you know, it's a, it's a project. It's like someone who wants to build their own can do it. Now, the AR-15s are a little more difficult because they require, if you're using a metal... F- Lower, it requires removal of some some a good bit of aluminum. But again, there are jigs you can buy which show you where to drill, how much to drill. They even come with the drill bits and milling ends. Hmm. So all you have to do is buy the kit, and you can manufacture as many as you want. You buy the jig with the with the drill and, and milling tools. You just throw one lower after another in there and mill out all the metal that's not necessary. It's that simple, and then all the parts just drop in. It's very simple. If you have a drill press, it's even easier. There you go. Well, there you go. You can start manufacturing your own weapons legally as far as 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 of now. Like I say, they're talking about making, quote-unquote, ghost guns illegal. Ghost guns being any gun that's manufactured by a citizen on his own, which, you know, is right now is perfectly legal. So if you want to do it, you can do it now. I could have my own armory. You could. You could manufacture as many as you want as long as you do not sell them. If you sell them, then they need serial numbers and registration. Then you become a manufacturer. If you just sell one to a friend or something, you can actually register it and transfer it through a gun store if you put a serial number on it, I believe. Now, they probably have to register the serial number or something like that. I'm not sure of the procedure. But I'd probably not manufacture anything in order to sell it. I would just do it for my own my own purpose, just to know I could if I wanted to. Okay, I, I manufacture the first one. Will you go test fire it for me? Absolutely. <laughs> uh, I could look at it and tell if it's going to work or not. Oh, okay. It's funny because the lower part of the Air 15 is not the stress portion. The upper part is the part that's got the stress and the pressure on it. Because a lot of the Air 15 lowers are made out of plastic because they don't have to be that strong. All they do is hold, they hold the trigger assembly. But all the pressure is in the top part, the barrel, the bolt, all that stuff is what takes the pressure. And even if it were to be weak, it might crack the frame, but it's not going to explode in your face or anything like that. It's not going to have any sort of issue like that. You will be safe firing it. But it's funny because they can, you know, manufacture these things out of plastic and they function. You know, they function well. And in fact, some companies come up with a plastic lower that has reinforced sections in it where they're the most stressed and you can install these inserts into them once you finish milling them out to make them stronger and longer lasting. But, you know, you can also manufacture one out of aluminum if you have a drill press and you buy one of the jig kits. So it's American ingenuity is awesome. They will find ways around almost anything if you give people enough time. They will find a way to do what they want to do. That's why this country is so great. People are very ingenious. They're innovative. And they find ways to invent new and great things. And where there's a will... There's a way. (laughs) Exactly correct. Necessity is the mother of invention. All right, we'll be back after a few minutes. Take a quick break. I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. 
The Docs for Patient Care Foundation is your way to join the fight and become a member of an organization created by doctors for patients dedicated to fighting for your health care freedom and preserving the doctor-patient relationship. Get a pen and paper. Write down docsforpatientcarefoundation.org. That's D-O-C-S, the number four, patientcarefoundation.org. Go to our site and please make a generous tax-deductible donation and join the fight today. Thank you. Whether cruising the Strip in a 57 Chevy or taking the family on a vacation in a 71 Oldsmobile Vista Cruiser, you need to tune in to Classic Cars with Steve Ronaldo and Jim Weber every Saturday from 8 to 9 a.m. on AmericasWebRadio.com. This is America's Web Radio. Would you like to have a show, talk about your business, or express your opinion on America's Web Radio? Just email gm at americaswebradio.com and we'll get back to you. Thank you. And we're back. I'm Roger B. This is Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. Right before we left for the break, we were talking about uh, manufacturing pieces and parts, manufacturing your own weapons, which is perfectly legal. But what about things that are not legal? Apparently, a BLM mob, the burn, loot, murder protesters, mobbed a store in Rochester, New York, shutting down a Wegmans, trapping over 100 people inside the store because they had to close the doors because the Wegmans didn't want the mob to come into the store and start destroying things. Didn't want them to burn, loot, and murder their store, which I don't blame them. You know, start burning and looting and murdering somewhere else. And this is in Rochester. These people were just grocery shopping, and they got trapped by a mob protesting. Apparently, some guy was shot committing some crime and because he was black the burn loot murder crowd decided they were going to say his death was unjustified and that's up for a court to decide so we'll have to see and this was with the rochester police department now i know a lot of you guys are thinking oh well you know that's that's up in new york that's different but what this shows is that even in a smaller city if something happens the burn loot murder crowd and the anti-american fascist can start protesting can start mobbing stores, can start trapping you places you don't want to be trapped. So these guys were, these people were just out shopping for groceries and they got trapped in a store by a, by, I would say a, a protest group, but it wasn't a protest group. It was a rioting crowd. They were walking down the street saying, we're shutting stuff down. You know, but they didn't say stuff. But the, So they were intentionally trying to close stores down. They were intentionally trying to cause a disruption. They were intentionally trying to un- bother people or trap people where they were. And they were setting up, and people had cars that were following them, bringing them supplies and whatnot. This was an organized attack on the people of Rochester. And this goes to show you, no matter where you are, if you think you're safe, you might not be. What if you were in your local grocery store at 7 o'clock in the evening after work, you stop to pick up a few things, and a mob rolls by, shuts down the store, and you're trapped inside? Or what if worse, what if they break into the store and start trying to commit violent acts against the people who are there? Are you prepared for this? 
you know, everyone thinks they're going to be safe in their own home. They're going to be safe in their own neighborhoods because their neighborhood hasn't been the victim of violence as of yet. But it looks like these guys are they're, they're spreading out. They're going to places where they normally don't go. They're, and they're going unchecked. The police are not doing anything to stop them. They're letting them protest because of the – I don't know if it's because they feel like it's a racial thing and they're going to get in trouble if they try and stop protesters. Protesters. I keep saying protesters, and I mean rioters. Because if they were just protesters, they'd be marching down the street not trying to harm people. They wouldn't be trying to you know, destroy things or break into places. But it's it's funny because – People think they're going to be safe in their own neighborhoods. That's where they feel safest. And sometimes that can be the most dangerous place because you're at your most relaxed. You have to keep your situational awareness up always. You know, if you carry a weapon, don't think, oh, I'm just running to the grocery store for a minute. I don't need it. Put it on. Take it with you anyway because you never know when something is going to happen. You never know when you're going to run into a crowd of rioters in the street. And if you're not able to turn around and get away, which is my first instinct always. If I see people blocking the road or having a riot, I'm going to try and leave. And I suggest anybody who runs into that do the same thing. The best way to win a fight is not to be there when it happens. You know, because right now the way judges are ruling on these things, you're going to be in trouble no matter what. Even if you're completely in the right, if you're completely within your rights, if the Constitution and local laws protect you, you still may be prosecuted for a crime if you defend yourself against these rioters. So be aware of that. Be careful of that. Don't think just because you're right you're not going to get in trouble. There was a gentleman who was defending his property and himself against anti-American fascist protesters, the Antifas, and he got arrested because he had a weapon and he was defending himself. Now, I think they let him go after a day or two with no charges filed, but still, he was the one who was arrested, even though these people were attacking him. So be aware, you may not, you may be in the right, but you still may get yourself in trouble because the local law enforcement and local judges are ruling in favor of the rioters almost every time. They're letting them out of jail, letting them out on bail instantly, even if they've committed violent acts or committed violence against the community, they don't seem to care. Now, this may not be the same everywhere, but it's looking like it's headed in that direction. Because Rochester's not a huge city. It's a relatively small city in New York. If it was New York City, I'd say, well, you know, that's just how things go in New York, L.A., Chicago, Atlanta. Things go like that. But in a smaller city, you wouldn't think they'd have this kind of violence. But apparently, it's spreading. And even though they told us if we voted for Biden, the riots would go away, they're not. Portland, Oregon is still on fire. They're still burning stuff up. They're still rioting every other day. So be aware that no matter where you go, you could find yourself in a situation where you may need to protect yourself. But always do so cautiously and try and take the easiest way out of a situation. Don't try and confront anybody. If you can find a way out, go. Don't try and and cause a problem that's not there. If you can get away with your with your family, your property, your car, go. Get out of there. If you see it ahead of time, turn the other way, turn around if they let you, and get out. If you can't, then you're going to have to make a decision as to when the situation becomes threatening enough to where you have to threaten back. And like I say, do it cautiously because these judges and prosecutors are usually ruling in favor of the rioters. 
it seems like the whole law enforcement system has gone backwards now. Instead of protecting innocent citizens, they're protecting the people who are committing the violence. They're the ones who are the ones who are not going to get in trouble for doing this. So be aware of your surroundings. If you find yourself in a place where you you see something starting, just go. It's not worth it. You know, even if you need milk that day, you can get it the next day. It'll wait. But if you find yourself trapped in a store and violent people are coming in trying to burn stuff or trying to attack people, then you may have to stand up and defend yourself. And again, be cautious because every bullet fired has a lawyer attached to it. <laughs> so hopefully it won't come to that for anybody, but you know, just be aware. Situational awareness is something that is you need to learn all the time. You sit down in a restaurant, look around, just assess everybody you see from your eyes. Say, okay, that guy looks like he could be dangerous. That guy does not look like a threat. The guy with the skinny jeans and the man bun is probably not a problem. The guy sitting there with the hunting jacket on, he's probably a guy who can take care of himself. In fact, he may be an ally if something were to go down in this place. You know, look around. See who your possible allies are. See who your possible enemies are. I mean, I'm not saying you have to act on this, but just make it a point to start practicing assessing the situation you're in. Find out. Take a look around. Look at cars in the parking lot even. Look around and say, okay, who, which one of these cars would I be most likely to find a gun in? Which one would I be least likely to find a gun in? The hybrid Lexus. Yes, of course. But <laughs> And the pickup truck with the gun stickers in the back? Yes, that's the one you're going to look for the gun in if, if the situation demanded it. And that's something, too, on your own vehicles. Don't sit there and put stickers on your car that identify, you know, where your kids go to school, that you have guns in your house. Things like this are, I mean, everyone wants to be proud of what they've got, but be aware that gives away information to people who are meaning to do harm. So don't tell them where they can find you at certain times of the day. Oh, you're at uh, rugby practice every Tuesday and Thursday. So they know your house is empty, you know, because, oh, they know that particular rugby team meets, or they can look it up online and see that school's rugby team meets on those days. That's a good day for you to be gone. If they only see one little stick figure child on your car, they know you and one and that kid are going to be gone on those days. You know, be aware of what information you're giving out there, and especially on social media. When they ask you to take these quizzes, oh my goodness, don't do that. What was the name of your first dog? What was the name of the first street you lived on? These are the same security questions your credit card is going to, credit card company is going to ask you. Don't give that information away. <laughs> you know, talking about your situational awareness, not only do you need to look around when you're even in a grocery store that you go to all the time all the time know your exit right and same way with a restaurant find the other exit not the door that you came in but the door you can get out of very good advice look know where the know where the emergency exit is just in, even if a fire breaks out sure it doesn't have to be violence from a person it could be you know a natural disaster a flood a fire what's another way out of there and you want to help other people get out, too, in a case like that. You know, because they may not know where it is. If you do know, you could be the one they look to for some leadership. Get everybody out. Help. Help if you possibly can. Because most people are not going to do this. They're not going to walk into a place and look for the emergency exit. They're not going to look around and assess how the restaurant is laid out. They're not going to look at the people in there and see if anybody looks more threatening than anybody else. 
Now, now, granted, a lot of people are going to say, oh, that's profile. Yeah, it is. Profiling is something the FBI has a whole department they dedicate to profiling. They profile serial killers. They profile terrorists. The Israelis have stopped most terrorism on their planes by profiling. They don't look for weapons. They look for people. The people who look like, you know, you have a, li- you have a picture of a hundred of the most dangerous terrorists in the world. You walk up to an air- airport terminal and you look like number one and number seven, they're going to go, okay, you, come here. We're going to search you. Don't take the six-year-old kid and run her through a search because obviously she's not a terrorist. But you want to have the appearance of non-discrimination when in reality profiling is something that everybody should do. And I'm not saying you should act on it in your everyday life as far as making judgment calls against people, especially people you meet and work with. Get to know them. If you have a chance to know somebody, find out what they're about so you don't have to prejudge them or be prejudiced against them. But when you're doing it in your mind, it's just an exercise. You're just trying to determine where you have to be most careful. And you could be completely wrong, too. I've done that before, too, trying to decide, oh, that car looks like he comes from this county or that county. Sometimes I'm completely wrong. But, you know, it's fun to play the game anyway. So be aware when you go out, look around. I want everyone to do this. If you're listening, go out tonight. When you go out, look around. Look at where you're going. Look around at the people in the place you're at and assess everybody in some way. You can give them a danger number from 1 to 10 as far as if something were to go down, would that guy be helpful? Would he be dangerous? Would he be panicked and freaked out, screaming and yelling in a corner crying? Try and figure out where they're going to go. All right, I'm Roger B. This has been Locked and Loaded, and you're listening to America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.